I know you're really excited about talking about the word congruent. I know that's just... I'm excited. That's, that's, that's not the most exciting word in the world, but hopefully you feel it's more exciting 30 minutes from now. <laughs> We're going to talk about it. Being congruent with God and Jesus. What I want to do, you know how when a kid's upset, sometimes the kid's upset and you will, their toy is broken and you will say, look at that birdie out there. You, you, the Bible says that God is the lifter of our head. So he lifts our, God likes to distract us from things that are getting us down. So this morning, really what I want to do is ask you to focus on something that you probably don't normally focus on, and that is being like God, being like Jesus. See, it all started in Genesis. The whole problem started in Genesis, as all the problems started in Genesis, right? And all the solutions started in Genesis. And it all started there when the serpent who was channeling Satan came up to Eve, and he said, Eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You will be as God. See, he pulled a fast one on her. He moved her from being like God to being as God. And that's a ripoff. To be moved from being like God to being as God. Because God is really good. God is really good. God lives, God practices restraint. That's why he said, have one tree you don't eat of. Because God is a God of restraint. If God wasn't God of restraint, I wouldn't be here today. But he restrained himself from doing what I deserved him to do to me on several occasions. But he's a God of great restraint. God is a God of restraint. God is a God of patience. God is a God of goodness. God is a God of grace. God is a God of mercy. God is a God of discipline. God is a God of all the wonderful things that Eve and Adam had but they chose to be as God instead of like God. So when Jesus comes to the cross and redeems us, he returns us to that possibility that we could not only receive Christ, but we could resemble Christ. And I want to just ask you to turn your focus because it's not a normal focus. What about grace, you say? I don't want to hear some message about having to work our salvation. No, this is not a threat of judgment. This is an invitation to an adventure. This is not a threat of judgment. This is an invitation to an adventure. It will give purpose to your pain and sense to your suffering, I will promise you. Romans 8, 28, that famous verse that we all quote bits and pieces of it, and we need to quote the whole thing and include verse 29. We know that God causes all things to work together for good. How many of you know that one, right? Everybody knows that. God, we know that God causes all... We, I hear it all kinds of ways. God... God has a reason for everything. Well, I don't know. That's not what it says. It says God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and are calling to his purpose. Now, how many does, does anybody know verse 29 except the, the pastor who's here this morning? The two pastors or three pastors. Verse 29. I can't see anybody. You know, these days we've got to have trains coming at us when we're preaching. So I just... People say, don't you know I've been missing church for a month? I said, no, I don't know who's out there. <laughs> I can blame it on the lights now, not my own. I have some mindedness. Verse 29, for whom, and this is King James, is how I remember it. For whom he did foreknow, he did predestine that we might be conformed to the image 
congruent, conform to the image of his son. So God has this great big plan for every good, bad, indifferent thing that happens in your life that you would become more congruent with God and the lucky people that get to live with you just feel like more and more they're living with Jesus. It's awesome, right? Let's look up the meaning of the word. Just a simple dictionary, not Greek or anything, or Hebrew congruence, a similarity between two objects. We're naturally more driven to consuming God's blessings than being congruent with God's character. That's just normal, right? And I'm not going to beat you up for being a consumer. I'm going to glorify being a consumer in a couple of minutes. We're going, to, we're going to rejoice that we have the ability and the joy of consuming. And we have the joy of consuming God. We can be filled with his spirit. It's wonderful. But we want to move from that. We want to move God's blessing. We consume God's blessing. We're more interested in that than we are God's being congruent with God's character. More interested in possession than performance. We want to possess the things of God. More interested in receiving than resemblance. We receive Jesus. That's the consumer in us. More interested in congruence than consumption. Consumption is the action of using up a resource. Let me show you, as we think about being like God, we're going to talk about consuming in a second, but let, let me show you God's great core value. If we're going to be like God, we need to know what is God's great core value. And this is a standalone sermon, by the way. It's not part of a, a series. And so I wanted to, I wanted to preach something today that, it's, that is a, a Bethany core value. And if it's God's core value, I think it'd be a good idea if we adopted the core value. Would that be a good, good idea? So let me show you God's great core value that makes you and everyone around you matter so much to him. Bill Hybels said, he's going to be, he's going to be here in a few weeks, by the way. I hope you've signed up for the Global Leadership Summit. God treasures people most. When he entrusts us with his treasure, we must do everything possible to love and serve them well. That is a great statement. It's not a complex statement, but it's a great statement. It is what the entire Bible is built on, the sentiments in that statement, the Ten Commandments. All the commandments of Jesus are built on that one thing, that people matter to God, their well-being matters to God, their hopes matter to God, their heart matters to God, their hurt matters to God. And so God designed this life so that the more you become like him, the more useful you become to mankind. Amen? We're all consumers though, right? There's nothing wrong with that. God made us that way. He told Eve in, in the garden, the Lord in fact commanded them, you may eat of every tree in the garden, except that one over there. God, in a way, commanded them to be consumers. But I want you to know something. The leaders of Bethany Community Church, we need that pressure. We need the pressure that God has given you, the desire to consume. We need that pressure. Yes, there's nothing wrong with that. Ralph, Wil well, Ralph Waldo Emerson said, however, our chief want is someone who will inspire us to be what we know we could be. Our chief want is someone who will inspire us to be what we know we could be. Now, I don't know if that's always my chief want, but I know it's God's chief want, is to inspire me to be what I know I could be. I want to start a revolution today. I want to start a revolution 
of Christian consumers who demand that we pastors and leaders show you how to live the Christian life and walk with Jesus and be more like Jesus. You've let us off the hook long enough, and you've let us off the hook by saying it's just all about the weekend. It's not all about the weekend. Now, I have no problem with your expectations that the weekend will be good. I have no problem with you wanting to go to a church that you enjoy going to that church. How many of you just drove around for weeks looking for a church that you wouldn't enjoy? You just look at you just look for a church where you hated the music, the preaching was boring, and the the, the children's ministry was neglectful of your children. It was obvious they hadn't prepared for you. It was obvious the preacher hadn't prepared for you. It was obvious the musicians hadn't practiced. And it was obvious that the janitor didn't show up to clean the auditorium. How many of you are just looking for a church that would just offend all your sensibilities? The room temperature was uncomfortable. The lighting was wrong. How many of you just go around looking for a church that you just wouldn't enjoy? I want you to know that God made you to enjoy life. God created you with, with, with sensory nerves all over your body. God created you with a soul that craves beauty, that loves to th- see things that are beautiful. God craved you to, to, to consume his presence. God craved you to drink of his grace. God created you, I meant to say, to, to, to drink of his grace and experience his goodness in every single way. The Bible says God has created everything for you to enjoy. I want you to just turn to your neighbor and say, it's great to be a consumer. But your walk matters. Your behavior matters. And I must move from just being a consumer of God to being congruent with God or somebody's going to pay a price. Amen? Somebody's going to pay a price if I don't move from being a consumer of the blessings of God and I don't learn to be congruent with God and I don't find great purpose and great joy in taking the adventure of congruency with God. You might wonder what a puppy has to do with this story or with this sermon. But I remembered the other day when I was five years old. In fact, I drove down the street where I last saw that puppy a few days ago with my grandson, Farmersville, Texas. Little town, sleepy town of Farmersville, Texas. It's still pretty sleepy. Hasn't changed much. One day, my brother and I decided to take a walk with our puppy. So for some reason, we decided to walk down Main Street, and I don't know why we never thought of a leash. That would have been a, a, that would have been a novel idea, to put a puppy on a leash. But we were, a little, we were just country boys, Farmersville, Texas, right? We're walking down the street near Trinity Baptist Church, I, I, I know because I, I think of Trinity Baptist Church because I always went to vacation Bible school at Trinity Baptist Church. In fact, I went, to, I went to all the vacation Bible schools. We went to about five daily vacation Bible schools a summer. That's so I would know all the plans of salvation and know which one I wanted to choose. Right? So we're walking down the street. The little puppy's falling on behind us. All of a sudden, my five-year-old 
attention deficit disorder brain, I decide I want to walk on the other side of the street. For no reason, I darted across the other side of the street, Main Street, Farmersville, Texas. I think about three cars a day went down the street. But one got my puppy who decided to follow me across the street because I decided to walk somewhere else. What you do matters. Where you walk matters. How you walk matters. May I pull back the curtain a minute on contemporary pastoral ministry and what we're being taught this morning in pastoral conferences? We're taught, being taught how to relate to you mostly 99%, maybe it's 100%. I haven't heard anything at a pastoral conference lately that's told me how to relate to you as anything other than a consumer. We're being taught how to make the services so you will want to be here and to make you comfortable. I heard a guy, I was in one a while back and a guy got up and he said, if you preach 60 minutes, your, your auditorium will be full of 60-year-olds. If you preach 40 minutes, your auditorium will be 40-year-olds, full of 40-year-olds. If you preach 30 minutes, your auditorium will be full of 30-year-olds. We're being taught how to appeal to your consumer need. We're being taught you need, you need to be treated this way and you need to be treated this way and we need to, you, we need to be, how, we're being taught how to be friendly to you so you will want to come back. You know, I know you want people to be friendly to you, but I think people want friends too. <laughs> I think we're kind of craving friendship. And, and you know, I buy into most, I buy into a lot of what I hear. Yes, don't you want your pastor and the pastoral staff to be diligent enough to try to do what works for you? instead of the opposite of what works for you? What, don't, you don't you appreciate the fact that I might go to a conference and might figure out that my hour and 15-minute sermons are hurting, you, uh, you know, that, that, the, that the mind can only absorb as much as the rear can endure? <laughs> you know, aren't, you glad that I, aren't you glad that I've gone out and gotten educated a little bit? Amen? But you desperately need something else from your pastor and your pastoral staff and your community group leaders. And you may not feel it the way you feel the need for a soft chair and good music and an interesting sermon that has a sprinkled with a fair amount of humor and some good illustrations about puppies and stuff. And that is you desperately, desperately want at the deepest core of your being to be like Jesus Christ. You want to be like God because this will help you on Sunday, but that will help you on Monday. And the church of Jesus Christ needs to be bigger on Monday than it is on Sunday. I said the church of Jesus Christ needs to be bigger on Monday than it is on Sunday. I want to read to you a little excerpt. One, one thing that got me thinking about this whole idea of congruence was uh, Eugene Peterson's book, When Kingfishers Catch Fire. And don't ask me to explain the title right now. Too long. Eugene Peterson describes his frustration when planting a church. He said this, As time went on, I found myself increasingly at odds with my advisors on matters of means. The methods proposed for ensuring the numerical and financial viability of the congregation 
but without even a footnote regarding the nurturing of souls. I was given books to read on demographics and sociology. Do you know that's what pastors are reading? We're reading books about demographics and sociology because we're trying to market the church. I was sent to seminars on programming strategies for appealing to the secular suburban mindset. How many of you have a secular suburban mindset here today? <laughs> Leadership was interpreted almost entirely from business and consumer models. It wasn't long before I was in crisis. A chasm had developed between the way I was preaching from the pulpit and my deepest conviction on what it meant to be a pastor. I sensed my attitude toward the men and women I was gathering into a congregation was silently shaped by how I was planning to use them to succeed as a pastor, developing a new congregation with little thought of serving these souls with the bread of life. I found myself thinking competitively about other churches in town, calculating in ways in which I could beat them at the numbers game. This is what, in many cases, is burning pastors out. Because we have a higher calling than beating the church down the road at the numbers game. We have a higher calling, and I'm asking you to begin to pressure me and others on this staff to fulfill our high, higher calling, which is to help you have the thrill of being like the Lord, the thrill of being like God, the thrill of being like Jesus, the thrill of walking into your home and being like Jesus in your home, the thrill of walking down the street, of going to your, work, your office tomorrow and being like Jesus. Now, there's some things we need to look at to understand that we basically... First of all, let me give you some scriptures. I want to prove to you this is scriptural. I'm going to read very quickly here, Exodus chapter 18, verse 19 and 20. Now, listen to me and let me give you a word of advice and may God be with you. You should continue to be the people's representatives before God. This is Moses' father-in-law giving him advice. Bringing their disputes to him, teaching them God's decrees, and give them this instruction. Show them how to conduct their lives. Matthew 28. Jesus gave this charge. Go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. The practice, the performance of. Ephesians 4.11, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Galatians 4.19, Oh, dear children, I feel as if I'm going through labor pains for you again, and they will continue until Christ is fully developed in your lives. Not one word about beating an attendance record. Not one word. Now, I'm not saying attendance is not important. God wrote a whole book called the Book of Numbers, so numbers are important. Because a number represents a person who's going to heaven or hell. That's why numbers are important. But something else is important. And that is the quality of your life. A craving for congruence is found in the Apostle Paul's. And this is where I want to camp for the rest of my message today. 
It's found in Apostle Paul's own personal mission statement in Philippians chapter 3.10. It has way more to do with congruence than consumption. He said, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. And if I read the statements around that, you would see that he says, I want to focus all my energies on this. He said previously, I want this one thing I want to do. Now, Paul wasn't just striving to consume Jesus. He was striving to conform to Jesus. Paul didn't just hear the call to receive Jesus, but to resemble Jesus. In fact, it wasn't just an interest. It was an obsession, a laser-like obsession with Paul to be as God, to be as Christ had been in the world. I want to ask you three questions in closing today and continuing this message today. Why should we crave congruence with Christ? How do we become congruent with Christ? And what is the measure of congruence with Christ? Why should we crave it? Well, first of all, it's unnatural to take up an interest and plan on being bad at it. <laughs> How many of you, you, you decided you were gonna, uh, you're going to really get interested in cooking? But how many of you plan to be a bad cook? And some of you ended up that way. It just happened, right? How many of you started playing golf and you plan? Your plan was to be bad. Your plan was not to be very good at it. That doesn't sound very enjoyable, does it? I mean, what about, what about flying airplanes? I know we got Steve Johnson's here. Steve, his, his favorite hobby. I won't even tell you how much he loves his airplane. It, it, but I, Steve, did, did when you decided you were going to start flying that plane and you got interested in it, did you think, I want to be really poor at it? That has some serious consequences to be poor at flying an airplane. What about those of you who start taking voice lessons and you decide you're going to be a singer? How many of you plan to be a bad singer? That was your plan. How many of you picked up the guitar or the piano and you thought, you know, my goal in life is to be poor at this. My goal in life is to sound terrible. Every one of you. When I was a kid, I loved to play football. We Football is king in Texas. And when I would play football, I would imagine myself as Bobby Hayes. I don't know, only you really football aficionados would know who Bobby Hayes is, but he was the the speedster that I saw in person. My, my cousin took me to see a Packers-Cowboys game, and I saw him run, catch the ball and go 99 yards. And other than the fact that he was much faster than me, and he was African-American, and he was very athletic, and he didn't mind being hit as much as I did, I was almost as good as him. I wasn't some bum on the bench when I, in my mind when I played football. I was Bobby Hayes. And I was second fastest in the second grade. i just tell you. <laughs> so why in the world would you accept Jesus as your personal Savior and say, I really want to be a lousy Christian? That's just my goal. Is I, want to, I want to do it, I want to do it as... as poorly, inefficiently, offensively as I can possibly do it. No, 
I don't believe, but maybe no one's ever framed it like this for you because you only saw Christianity as something you receive. You only saw it like going, going to uh, McDonald's or, or D'Angelo's. You saw it as going and, and receiving something. You go like something as consuming something. But, but no, Christianity is something that's designed to consume you. It's supposed to consume you. That being filled with the Spirit means it's consumed you, not you have consumed it. I think, I think you're going to want to do this. I just got a feeling that I'm going to have at the end of the sermon, I'm going to have some people sign up to be little Christ in the world that we live in. A lot of you are already doing it. We have so many incredible examples in this room of people who are acting like Jesus. It reminds me of that time in the book of Revelation. There's this great scene in Revelation. This awesome scene where John the Revelator bows down before this person that he thought was a deity. He thought it was a deity. I don't know if he thought it was Jesus, but he thought he, thought he was bowing before a deity. And he bows down before this person, this personage, and the, the guy says, get up, I'm your brother, I'm just like you. You know what that verse, that little story tells me, that little, that little scene tells me, that, that tra the trajectory we are on is we're going to be exactly like Jesus. That's where we're headed. The Bible says now we're the sons of God, we, and when we see him, we don't know what we shall be, but we will be like him. We will be like him, the Bible says. I got the feeling when I read all those scriptures and I look at what Paul said, I got a feeling that that's the point. That that's the point. The point is not so I could consume something where God knows I've consumed enough. God knows I've consumed plenty. My belly is full. My life is blessed. I've got everything I need. What I need what's left for me is not to have something, but to be something. I said, what's left for me? Let me say it again. What's left for me is not to have something more, but to be something more. That's what I'm craving. That's what I want. That's what I want this church to be. I want it to be full of people who have become something within God. And they can really perform the Christian life and not just always fall back on, well, I'm forgiven. I, I Thank God I'm forgiven, but there's more. Let, let, me, let me move on quickly. Why crave it? Because it's unnatural. Take up, take up an interest and plan on being bad at it. And because it is a mistake to think that you chose Christ when Christ actually chose you. Amen? Amen? Ever since, you ever sense that God is after you? You ever sense? You, <laughs> you turn on, the, you, you turn on the radio and some guy's talking about the very thing. It, it, it's, and, and it's NPR. It's NPR, and, and God is speaking to you through NPR. Now, if God can speak through NPR, I mean, he can speak through anything. You turn on a TED Talk, and God's talking to you. Then you come to Sunday morning, and Pastor Phil preached the same thing that the guy said on the TED Talk, but he, but he did it much better. And, and, and some of you have done this. Bring me some water, please, Pat. Some of you done this. You got interested in God, and then you decided you were not going to be interested anymore. 
but you couldn't unread that book you read. <laughs> you couldn't unhear that. You got tricked into coming to the Global Leadership Summit because you thought you, it might help you get a promotion at work, but you heard stuff about God and you can't, you can't get it out of your mind because you didn't choose God, and, but God chose you. Paul said it this way, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me in verse 12. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me. You did not choose Christ. He chose you. See, you can't be a Christian by making yourself one. No man comes to the Father except the Spirit draws him. I had an Elijah moment the other day when I just was telling God how bad it was and how I, I need to quit. And I'm tired of people. And <laughs> Did you say, do you want to talk about it, Pastor? Well, let's have a meeting, a family meeting after church, and I, I'll, I'll unburden myself and tell you, tell you what you did. But... No, it's none of you. It's the people that are absent, the people that aren't here today. <laughs> and you know what? I really believe God spoke to me. I'm, I'm very careful to say God spoke because people used to do that all the time. I felt like God spoke and said, Phil, you didn't call yourself to the ministry. I call you and I'll let you know when you're done. And you need to crave Christ-likeness because you might cross the street to the other side and crush something or someone that God loves. You may survive your incongruity and your departure from Christ's likeness, but the people who are following you and the people you're influencing may not. Your kids may not survive your spiritual mediocrity. That spouse that even is living with you is being crushed by you because you're not more like Jesus. Do I really want people to have to survive me all the time? And finally... Because you will complete the definition of what it means. And this is so important. I need another 30 minutes, but I'm not going to take it. I only can give this about two minutes. But this is so huge. Say, this needs to be a sermon series. You will complete the definition of what it means to spend time with Jesus. The universal, listen, listen, can we listen fast? The universal understanding of spending time with the Lord is to sit with the scriptures and talk to God and have your daily quiet time. We call this our quiet time, right? And we believe it's a staple of truly spiritual life, and I believe it is too. So important. But I'll never forget a person who used to be in our church many, many, many years ago, so don't try to remember back, who was a, I'll, I'll, a shorthand, he, this person was a quiet time Nazi. He has quiet time, and he taught others to have quiet times. I remember one time they had a relative who needed to be picked up for church, who we knew had an interest in spiritual things, and they said, no, we can't do that. We can't leave the house 20 minutes early on Sunday morning to go pick someone up for church. And I thought, that is really weird. You don't understand what it means to spend time with Jesus. Because Jesus is picking them up. He just doesn't have a car. 
and he was going to use your car. I didn't completely understand in those days of the hypocrisy of saying we need to spend more time with Jesus and refuse to suffer inconvenience, delayed gratification, stress the indignity of forgiveness and the humility of showing undeserved kindness. This is how Paul understood spending time with the Lord. Spending time with the Lord was suffering with the Lord. Spending time with the Lord is being stressed with what ministry and loving people calls you to do. Listen to his words again. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death. Spending time with Jesus is not just sitting with your Oswald Chambers book in the morning, but spending time with Jesus. Jesus is standing over a sink full of dirty dishes. He's standing over a group of school students who need to have lunch. Jesus is standing over the person who's weeping because their spouse just died. Jesus is cooking dinner for somebody. If you want to spend time with Jesus, you must roll up your sleeves and be a part of what Jesus is doing because Jesus is not staying in your prayer closet all day. Paul didn't say, I need to have more devotional readings, more sermons, more worship music, more stress. No, he said, no, I, I said that wrong. He didn't say, I need more worship music. He said, I need more stress. I need more pressure. I had another lady who used to, a wonderful person, but they would always, uh, you know, she would resign ministries every once in a while. And it would always be, Pastor, I just got to spend more time with Jesus. I got to turn my back my back to people and my face to God. Jesus is with the people. That's where he is. He's with the hurting, the suffering, the people who need him. To to Paul, knowing Christ was being Christ. Not hearing another lecture. Now, I'm going to leapfrog over some material here because I want you to hear something. I know, you know, I was raised in Pentecostal church and I, re- I really love my heritage because we had services and we believed that Jesus was there in the service. And I believe it too. But what we sometimes miss is that Jesus wasn't just here, he was out there. So I'm going to leapfrog over a couple of points here. How do you become congruent with Christ? I think what you're about to hear is going to, going to share you that. It's about becoming congruent with Christ is the power of the resurrection. That's embracing that which exalts, overcomes, improves, and elevates. It's also the fellowship of suffering. That means embracing the stress, the hardship, the humility that Jesus is embracing right now. But let's close with this question. What is the measure of congruence with Christ? What is the measure of congruence with Christ? Now, to fully understand this, you need to go to Philippians 2. And you can't do that right now. But Philippians 2 really sets it up because about, it talks about Christ the servant. It talks about Christ the servant. And Paul had that in mind when he wrote this. And he said in chapter 2, if you, verse 1, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. 
So what I want to leave you with today, I want to leave you with one simple thing that you can do that will help you to have a measure of, as to whether or not you're becoming more like Christ. So I could give you this sermon and you might feel a little guilt. You might feel a little shame. I know I'm not enough like Jesus. So you go out with just kind of a vague idea of becoming more like Jesus. And you try to serve better and all of that. But I want you to hear something that's going to give you a very definite measure. A lead measure, they call it. That will show you if I will do this, I can measure that I'm getting better, more like Jesus and closer to becoming the person that I want to be. And so to make that point, I have a very, very dear friend here today. And you've heard me quote him from time to time and talk about he and his wife. And they pastored Beth, uh, Covenant Community, Community Covenant Church in Rehoboth for almost 30 years. And uh, I'm going to ask uh, Dennis Burrell to come up here. And he shared something with me the other day. And I said, that is the conclusion to my message. That's what the folks need to hear. So I'm going to ask Dan to come and share it with you. Come on, Dan. Let's give him a hand. And uh, Thank you, sir. Okay. Welcome. It's all you. you, you it's a, this is kind of like you're going down the road and one driver says, I'm really getting tired. And you pull over to the McDonald's, you get a hamburger and Okay, I'll take over and drive for you for a while. So is that, that's what that yeah. thing's going on here, right? I'm exhausted. <laughs> so this has really been a, a great message up to this part. And I hope I can help it get better for you. you. You don't know us. You don't know my wife and I, but we're living right in your parking lot right now. We live in a motorhome. We've been traveling the country for 19 months and being in a different church every Sunday and and, and I don't come in to preach or minister or anything. I sit in the pew like you all do. And, and it's been quite an experience. There's a whole lot of those consumers out there that you're talking about. There's a whole lot of churches that are catered to it. And they are really boring. I mean, the music is great, but I didn't go to go to a concert. And the preaching is really interesting, but I didn't need more self-help. I wanted to know how to live for Jesus. And so we've been doing this, and, and, and this morning's message, what you're listening to, is, is really unusual. But I think your whole church is unusual. You're one of my favorite churches in the country. You really are. You really are. Some of the things you do is, is, is unprecedented. This is not common. So when, when your pastor was sharing with me what he was thinking about and how he was coming to this thing, and I, and I was like, this is really unusual. And, and it kind of goes to the idea of what we talk, normally call spiritual growth. Like, how do you grow spiritually? That's what congruence is, because if you're, if you're beginning to form up with Christ, you're growing, right? And so if I asked you, how do you grow spiritually? And, and what, we, what, what do you need to do to make that happen? How many would say I need to read my Bible more? You know, I need to, have a, I need to, I need to pray more. You know, if I, if I ask that and we really got serious, you'd say, oh, that, that's, that's my problem. I don't read my Bible enough. I don't pray enough. I've I missed too many Sundays. I, I don't tithe. I, 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 just don't, I just can't fit a small group into my life. And we kind of stop there. 
So tell me for a moment, just kind of go through this, just, just kind of go through whatever knowledge of the Bible you have for a minute. And, and ask me this, and answer me this, when did Jesus say what you really need to do is read your Bible? Uh-oh. Now the Bible says, your word is a lamp unto my feet, so it's, it's powerful, it's something we should know, it's not something, but the purpose of knowing the scripture isn't because reading the scripture itself makes us more in congruence with Christ. Reading the Bible is a means, not an end. If I said you really need to grow more and you said yeah, I need to pray more, and I'd say, okay, good, good, that's, that's good, because we all know Jesus prayed. But is prayer the end or the means? When Jesus prayed, and you look at it in the scripture, when he comes out of prayer, does he go, Whew, done for the day. I'm good. Me and the Father are one now. Or did he do something? Was he becoming and ensuring that he was aligned with the Father when he came out of prayer? You see, what we've done is we've associated practices with growth rather than with what we're supposed to do with growth. What's the fruit of our life? What's the fruit of growth? What's it supposed to look like, not what's the process? Where do you get the power for growth? You get the power from reading the Bible, from praying, and all that, for sure. But reality is most of us don't have time to pray every day in terms of a concentrated time. We'll pray. I used to, my favorite place to drive is to pray is when I'm driving. Most of us don't have time to read the word every day, but we all know enough that we can't live it. So let me ask you a different question. Do you have people in your life that it's hard to love? I mean, I've got family members in my life that I want to love, but God darn it, they drive me crazy. I'd just as soon not be around them. Do you have people like that in your life, in your family? <laughs> Sign me up, right? Do you have, do you know, you know, I don't care if you're Democrat or Republican. Do you really get ticked at the other guy? Today, that's really popular, right? We just berate people. You have classes of people you don't like. Do you have people at your work, your job? You just can't stand them. Wow. Can you admit, there's people in my life that's really hard for me to love. Remember Bill Heibel's statement? It's about treasuring people. When Jesus is, is coming down on the Pharisees, and he comes out on them really hard, 
Did you ever have the sense he didn't love them or he was trying to straighten them out? When they killed him, he said, Father, forgive him. Suppose you said this morning, what I want to do is I want to, I want to do what Pastor Phil talked about. I want to become congruent with Christ. I want to become a co-heir. I want to become an ambassador. I want to become that one. I really get it. What he's asking me to do is grow. And then this guy got up who you don't even know and said, and the way you measure that is next June, when you're sitting in church, can you say you love people that you found it impossible to love a year ago? Could you say, I now can love people, just one person that I couldn't love a year ago, maybe two, maybe a group. I can listen without getting so angry that I begin to viscerally hate a person that disagrees with me. Suppose we measured it by what Jesus measured it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Boy, that would change your prayer life, wouldn't it? Read the scripture becomes painful. Jesus keeps telling us to do these things. The Bible keeps calling us up to do these things. Not to know them, but to practice them. Eastern religions... Buddhism gets off into being there. Christianity is a religion of action. This has been lost. All over the country, hospitals are named with Christian names because they were started by people who cared. We haven't seen a hospital start like that. Since we gave caring up to other places. What if part of this is that person that you just decided you're not going to have in your life anymore? Was I was going to forgive them. This year, I'm going to commit right here, this week, that I am going to work at forgiving that person that hurt me because Jesus told me to. Would you be growing spiritually if you took these things on? Jesus told us, if we forgive, we'll be forgiven. We just want to hear we're forgiven. He said, love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. Consumers don't like that. This is a very unusual message. I get why it's not a series, too. It's hard to find words for this sort of stuff because we don't talk this way anymore. But will you commit this morning, when your pastor goes back here and leads you in prayer, would you commit this morning and say, one year from now, I'm going to love him, her, them. I'm going to set my course to forgive them. 
and I'm going to use all the faculties that God provides me to bring about true transformation in my life so that I'm a more loving person and congruent with Christ than I am today. There you have it. So there you have it. You're going to love somebody or somebody's more a year from now than you do today. You're going to love somebody a year from now that you don't even love today. Because the entire Bible is built on God's love. That he loves humanity. Even when God disciplines, it's out of love. Even when he confronts us, it's because he loves us. So today, how many of you are ready to embrace that challenge? Let's embrace it. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. And uh, I hope you can stick around, go out and make sure and greet the Dorns. Uh, uh, Jess and, and Jeff, can I just go ahead and dismiss you so you can get ahead of us? And so make sure and go out there and tell them how much you appreciate them and love them. And uh, there's a table if you brought cards for you to put those cards on. Let's bow our heads and close the service in prayer. Father, we thank you for the exciting adventure of becoming like you. And for some of us, that's going to that's going to be poured out in community service. And we're going to we're going to love maybe there's a group of people that we don't even know, but so we haven't loved them because we haven't even gone to get to know them. Maybe there's even a group of people that we have bias against and prejudice against. And we're going to become a part of something the next year through Compassion New England that we're going to get involved in helping them and being a part of their life. Maybe somebody needs to love their church. If they go to this church or they go to another church, they will love that church more a year from now than they do today. I'm excited about the growth potential, the growth opportunities that you have for us. Now, I pray, God, as we go out and we enjoy our consuming life, may every time we take a bite of food, may every time we enjoy something beautiful or we are touched in a way that brings us joy or comfort, that we will remember to give praise to you and glory to you and make it a moment of worship and not just a moment of consumption so we can move to being more and more like you, our Heavenly Father. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Enjoy your day. You have been listening to the Bethany Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us online at bccma.org. Thank you, and God bless.